0: Hello there. Welcome to our last Bible study as far as 2020 is concerned. I am delighted that you have taken time out of your busy schedule to join us as we finish up Philippians chapter 3. And of course, I want to thank God that God has brought us to this point. 2020 has been a very challenging year for all of us, and yet we are able to testify how the Lord has kept us, Uh, despite COVID-19, despite people losing their jobs, despite things going awry as far as the political landscape is concerned, uh, despite some of the financial challenges that we have faced, we have to admit that the Lord has kept us. So I want to thank you all for joining us uh, on this particular day. And I want to have a word of prayer uh, before we begin to finish up. This particular chapter. God, we come and we thank you for the wonderful things you have done as far as our lives are concerned. And of course, as we make that mad dash toward Christmas tide, toward the celebration of you sending Christ into the world to become one of us so that we can be reconnected to you. It's not something we take for granted. So, God, right now we pray that as we prepare to uh, study. Philippians chapter 3, <clears throat> that you, by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, will be the master teacher. Uh, teach us your precepts. Let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. And Illuminate uh, your word into our hearts so that we can obey it. Do what you desire for us to do, and we'll give you all the glory, honor, and praise. It's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray and we claim it done. Amen. Amen. Last week, we started talking about um, Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 15, and I read through verse 21, we've done the markup as far as this passage is concerned, but I stopped last week on verse 18. I want to pick up today at verse 18. And of course, you should have this passage marked up and uh, read through verse 21 and let's start picking it apart. It reads, for many walk of whom I've told you often, and I'm telling even weeping that they are enemies of the cross. And here's where we want to zoom in on. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Amen. So let's start um, looking at and unpacking as far as Uh, These verses are concerned, and I want to kind of hone in on verse 18 kind of as the prologue to verse 19 through 21, because what we see Paul doing here is helping the Philippians to understand that they are engaged in spiritual warfare, and he is warning them because they are being exposed to people who disregard the cross of Jesus Christ, the people who discount the efficacy of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And so what Paul wants them to understand is that as enemies of God, you got these false teachers who really are destined for destruction. And anybody that talks against Jesus Christ being the Son of God, anybody who discounts, disregards the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Anybody who does not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ ultimately bring destruction upon themselves. Paul was trying to warn the Philippians about the Gnostic teachings. What is the Gnostic teachings? The Gnostic teachings basically is the idea that the only way you can understand God is that you got to have some secret insight to who God is, that uh, the normal person uh, cannot really know God on a deeper level, that you got to be exposed to some special revelation about who God is. Paul is saying that that's that's not the case. Uh, Paul also wanted them to understand That you got a lot of self-righteous people who were doing uh, so many wicked things to Jesus Christ. They were enemies of Christ. They were enemies of the cross. And the most important symbol to us who follow Jesus Christ was being opposed by people who claim to follow Jesus. And then this is where Paul really starts getting them. For Paul says, whose end is destruction whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame. Right here in verse 19, we see that Paul begins to highlight specific details about the wickedness of those who did not want to claim the cross of Jesus Christ. Enemy is destruction, whose end is destruction, The word destruction here is to be placed in ruins, to go to waste, and it really is talking about eternal destruction that's going to be brought upon those who are wicked, eternal destruction. Uh, One of those uh, it, it is in reference to is when you think about somebody like a Judas Iscariot, Judas Iscariot, um, did not only deny, but he betrayed Jesus Christ, and of course his end is destruction. The other one is a person that's known as the coming Antichrist. But we do realize that anybody who talks against Jesus, anybody who denies the resurrection, anybody who disregards the crucifixion, can be an Antichrist. So one of the reasons, and this is what I want to press upon you. One of the reasons that you and I, as a believer, should never be jealous of wicked people is because one day they're going to be destroyed. It looks like they're doing well right now. It looks like they are living high on the hog. It looks like they got everything going in their favor. It looks like they're rolling as far as riches are concerned, but their ultimate end is destruction. One day, they're going to have to give an account for everything that is done as far as their livelihood is concerned. <clears throat> so you and I don't have to be jealous about folks that are wicked. You and I do not have to be jealous or, or, or envious of people who look like they got it going on, but they really do not. Why? Because one day, their end is destruction. But then there's something else that Paul talks about, and it's this phrase, whose God is their belly. And I believe that right here, what, what, what Paul is talking about is um, uh, being so focused on the worldly and on the sensual. Um, when he talks about how their God is their belly, that the wicked has only in their mind their physical desires and their unrestrained gluttony. Now, watch this. Many of us, we love to talk about various sins. However, we fail to understand that gluttony is considered to be a sin. So just as there's physical gluttony, guess what? There's also spiritual gluttony, unrestrained gluttony. This is what Paul is talking about. Their goal was to fill their belly. Now, when Paul used this term belly, I believe that Paul was not only talking about your physical stomach or your digestive system, but I believe that Paul is also talking about these various urges and cravings that we have in life. Cravings to have more, more money, more material things, more Clothes that the, the desire to have more becomes the driving impetus for you to use whoever you have to use to get what you want. Now, there's nothing wrong with having to find the finer things in life, okay? But what Paul was saying is that the lust of the flesh was totally running these people that were wicked and, and their desire. To satisfy the flesh was them living in the moment. In other words, they're so focused on what I can get right now, what I can have right now, what I can be right now, that they fail to understand the eternal significance of what they do in the now. There was nothing spiritual about their appetites. There was nothing heavenly about their appetites. There was nothing divine about their appetites. They were doing whatever they wanted to do in order to feel good. They weren't concerned about anybody but themselves. They were like the drug addict, the drug addict that is uh, so addicted until he or she would do anything to take care of their high even if it means robbing a loved one so that they can have the funds to satisfy their addiction. They do whatever they have to do to support their habit. Wow. So, they had this unrestrained gluttony. The other thing that Paul talks about is that there's glory in their shame. So, instead of them... Giving glory to God. You had these teachers. Who he praise upon themselves. When you know who God is. And the pardon of your sins. And when you know. Where. Your knowledge. Where your intelligence. Where your wisdom comes from. You understand. That ultimate glory. Goes to God. Okay. So you have these wicked people who were not only enjoying what they were doing, but they also had the audacity to justify their behavior. Although the things that they were doing was wrong and it was ungodly, they claimed it was right and they were happy about it. That that sounds like some people in today's culture, uh, particularly when we think about um, people who want to make religious claims, particularly in reference to uh, Trump. And we have to be careful because now there is what I want to call a new religious fascination called Christian Trumpism. <laughs> Christian Trumpism is whereby you hold up the idol of Donald Trump and you try to coat him in a Jesus glaze, and it just doesn't work. It just doesn't fit. It just doesn't make any sense. And the unfortunate reality is that we have people who are supporting Trump who claim him to be sent by God. I love what uh, Beth Moore said when she said, we do not need a Cyrus. We already have a king, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. So, 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 that glory is their shame because, unfortunately, and I hope that this blesses someone, unfortunately, they enjoyed, they enjoyed their indulgence, and their wickedness and had no desire to stop it. As a matter of fact, they thought others were wrong and they thought others were missing out on the pleasures of life. Wicked people will challenge your righteous behavior and try their best to disciple you in their way of living. How many people have supported the madness of this current presidential administration claiming it to be of God when they know good and well, it is not. Oh, my God, what a way we have to go. Um, and then Paul says, who set their mind on earthly things. Uh, It's certainly not wrong for God's people to care about earthly or human affairs. Nothing wrong with that. But those Paul warned against here were depending on, check this out, earthly things to gain them favor with God. Let me bless you, and what I'm trying to impress upon you is that no amount of money, no amount of Bible reading, no amount of church attendance, no amount of work can gain us favor with God. You and I are able to have a relationship with God because of grace. That's it. That's it. And the reason that you and I should give, the reason that you and I should be part of the family of God as far as the church is concerned, the reason that you and I should serve is because we have been given salvation by grace. All right, I'm going somewhere with this, and I'm trying to help somebody here. All right? This is the only reason that we should do these things because we've been exposed to salvation. So Paul wants us to understand that when you make the earthly things a priority, you will sooner or later discover they cannot keep you. All right? As a matter of fact, some people are so consumed by the worldly things or by the earthly things until they don't even believe in the hereafter. There are some people right now who don't even believe in a heaven or a hell, all right? As a matter of fact, there are people who believe that heaven is here on earth. They want to get all they can while they can, and they're more concerned about gaining the things of this world than they are about losing their soul. It reminds me of the words that Jesus said to the rich young ruler when he came to Jesus and he asked that timeless question, Rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus basically says, well, you know, keep the commandments, honor your mother and father, uh, that your days may be long. And the rich young ruler said, oh, I'm cool. I'm good. I've been doing that ever since I was A youngster. I've been doing that ever since my bar mitzvah. I'm I'm on top of it. And then Jesus dropped the bombshell. Jesus said, well, i tell you what. Why don't you sell what you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me? And the Bible says that the rich young ruler dropped his head and walked away, for he had many possessions. This is, I believe, the only instance in the Bible where somebody came to Jesus and left off worse than they were before they encountered him. When your mind is on earthly things, you really miss out on the things of God. Well, let us make a mad dash to dealing with verse 20 and 21. Because this is where um a lot of good meat is the people of Philippi really were part of the Roman Empire, and so in a sense, they were for the most part a colony, and being a colony um While their citizenship was in Rome, they were living in Philippi. We as Christians, we as Christians have a dual citizenship. That while we live here on earth, our citizenship is in heaven. Okay? Notice how Paul shifts the conversation. Because Paul wants us to understand that our citizenship ultimately is not of this world. We got something a whole lot better than what this world has to offer. And so since this world is not our home, you and I, who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you and I, who have allowed for Jesus to be our Lord and our Savior, you and I are citizens of another country of another realm, of another reality, and that is heaven. This world is not our home. So guess what? So as citizens of heaven, there ought to be something different about us. There ought to be something unique. There ought to be something distinct about us. That Even though we're living in a foreign land, we are still required to govern ourselves by the rules of heaven. And let me help you understand that the rules of heaven are much stricter than the rules of this world. This world is a temporary citizenship. Heaven is our eternal citizenship. One day, the visa is going to expire on this side. And when that visa expires, it will end up either in a physical death, or we end up with us being captured, waiting for the Lord to take us up as far as the church is concerned. Now, I know there's some people who don't believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ, and they want to debate whether it's going to be, uh, be taken up before or after the tribulation. I Listen, I don't get caught up in all that stuff. I never forget something that my late mentor and advisor, the Reverend Dr. Samuel DeWitt Proctor once said, And I share these words. If you do what Jesus told you to do in the first coming, the second coming will take care of itself. So that's a great transition to talk about what this second coming looks like. For it says in verse 20, For our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul writes this because Paul, as well as a lot of other Christians of the early church, thought Jesus was going to be returning real soon. They, they really thought that Jesus' return was going to be imminent. Okay? Um, uh, and, 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 and unfortunately, because Jesus did not return when they thought he was going to return, a lot of people, even in today's culture, have become lackadaisical as far as anticipating his return. All right? But I want you to know that one day he's going to come to take us home. All right? One day he's going to come and claim us as his own. However, I want you to know that when he comes back, He's gonna look a lot different than he did when he first came to earth. And interestingly, when we look at this season of Advent, Advent basically means to come, to participate in. In Jesus' first Advent, he came as a baby. But in his second Advent, he's gonna come as a king. In his first Advent, he was born in a stable. But in his second advent, he's going to be riding on a white stallion. In his first advent, he had the animal's breath to keep him warm. But in his second advent, he's going to be followed with a legion of angels. When he returns, he's going to return in all of his splendor and glory. In his first advent, he had to deal with the cross, but in his second advent, he's going to be wearing the crown that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In in his first advent, he came and he took on the cruelties of the world, but in his second advent, he, he returns, he will judge the quick and the dead and all of those who remain. So I want you to know that one day when he comes back, He's not coming back as some meek and humble and lowly uh, 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 itinerant preacher. But he's coming back as king of the entire cosmos to set up the very essence of his throne here on earth. That's what he's coming back for. And that's what we, as children of God, the sons and daughters of the Most High, should really be looking forward to. All right? So, back during that time, they were looking for Jesus to return. He did not return when they thought he was going to return. Some people, unfortunately, have given up on the aspect that Jesus was ever going to come back. But part of the gospel that we preach Part of the gospel that we teach not only focuses on Jesus' birth and his incarnation and his work and his ministry and his life and his crucifixion and his resurrection and his ascension, but it also talks about one day his return. And we must understand that Jesus' time frame is a whole lot different than human time frame. Remember, the Bible says that a thousand days, a thousand years are like one day in the sight of God. Yeah. Yeah. So, those saints in the early years of the church uh, didn't know when it was going to happen, but they stayed prepared. Part of the reason that I preach and teach so hard is because we don't know when Jesus Christ is going to return, but... You need to be prepared. Uh, You need to be on guard. Um, You need to be ready. Ah, Which then brings me to verse 21, which goes back to something that I have been teaching um, since I've learned better. Verse 21, who would transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. When Jesus Christ returns, when Jesus Christ comes to take us home, either through his second coming, or through death itself. He has promised us new bodies. It's right there in verse 21. He who will transform our lowly body. Why does he use the word lowly body? Very easy. Our bodies, this flesh and blood, is impacted by sin. This Flesh and blood gets sick. gets old. It decays. It gets wrinkles. Eyesight gets dim. Your head of hair that may be blonde or black or brown eventually becomes gray. Your steps become slower. You don't have as much giddy-up as you used to. If you keep living... Sooner or later, there is an old person in all of us. And so the only way you don't get to meet that old person in you is that you die young. And so what Paul wants us to understand is that Jesus Christ, when he returns, is going to give us or change our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. This is where I tell people, and, and I know some folks, they get upset about it. They get mad about it. But I would be so remiss if I did not help you to understand the truth of the gospel. And it pains me, and that's why I keep saying it over and over. It pains me. When I hear folks in the church talking about when they die, they're going to get their wings. You don't have any wings. You're not going to get any wings. You're not going to be an angel. You're not like an angel. You shall not be like an angel. You're going to have a transformed, a glorious body, that is similar to the body of Jesus Christ, like when he was resurrected from the dead. You're not going to have any wings. Please, ma'am, please, sir, stop that crazy theological madness. That ain't going to happen. You're not getting any wings. Stop going to the funeral talking about so-and-so done got their wings. No, they haven't. You're going to be sorely disappointed when you discover two truths that I'm getting ready to drop on you. The first truth is you will probably discover, number one, angels ain't got wings, and then number two, you ain't going to have any wings, okay? No angel wings in heaven, no kind of wings, not even chicken wings, teriyaki wings, hot wings, buffalo wings, whatever. You ain't going to have no wings. All right, please stop that madness. But this is what Paul meant when he also said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when he writes so poignantly, particularly starting at verse 50 through verse 58, when he talks about how this mortal must put on immortality and this corruption must put on incorruption, he is talking about you and I having our bodies transformed into the very resurrected, transfigured body like Jesus Christ that will be, watch this, devoid of sin. In other words, that glorious, resurrected, transfigured body will not be impacted nor affected by the sins of this world. In other words, our glorious, transformed body will be able to stand in the very presence of the glory and the splendor of God. Right now, we can't do that. So, I know somebody's saying, well, how can bodies that have been destroyed be refashioned and transfigured? How, How can the dead be resurrected? How can we receive these glorious bodies? Well, it's right there in verse 21. When Paul said, according to the workings by which he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Okay? This is in reference to the very power of God. And the God who created us the first time is the same God who can give us a new body the second time. It's going to be a different body. It's going to be like the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. It's going to be a body that doesn't have to worry about COVID-19, cancer, AIDS, HIV, diabetes, lung disease, heart disease, liver disease, uh, uh, amputation. It's going to be a glorious body. It's going to be a wonderful body. Whatever you think your best self is, On this earth, the body that God has prepared for you to be in glory, this body is nothing compared to that. Whatever you think your best self is right now, just think about where you are, what your best self is, when you are at your healthiest, your strongest, your most beautiful, and realize that ain't nothing compared to the body that God has prepared for you. And Paul here has to be so specific because he wants us to understand that God is able, through Jesus Christ, to subdue all things unto himself. This basically means that if God was able, according to the Bible, create Adam and Eve out of the dust of the ground, breathe into it the breath of life and Humanity became a living being, then God is able to take our spirits and put them in transfigured, transformed, resurrected bodies that will be able to bask in the very glory of God forever and forever. That God is able to subdue all things unto himself, which makes means that God is able to call us from the dead and that death and the grave have to release us and let us go so that we can inherit the very thing that God will have for us so that we can be in the very presence and the very glory of God with transformed, transfigured, resurrected bodies that will be able to bask and say, Holy, 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 and not be singed because of our sins. Our bodies will be brand new. What that will look like, what that will be like, I have no earthly idea. Will it have skin color? I don't know what I don't know what the body will look like, but I do know that the body will be able to handle the very presence and the very essence of God. And the Bible talks about how the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then followed by those who are alive. And we shall have this new body. This new body. Those that know who Jesus Christ is in the pardon of their sins, according to the Scriptures, will be able to experience being in the very presence of God by virtue of the fact that the God we serve is able to subdue all things, sin, death, the grave, and evil. He's able to put all of that under his feet so that those who have said yes will be able to bask in his eternal presence forever and ever. Well this is the end of the lesson as far as uh today's sharing I'm I'm going to check and see do we have any questions and It seems that if we don't have any questions as we prepare to go into um, a break as far as Bible study is concerned because of the Christmas holiday, I want to wish you uh, a Merry Christmas. And, uh, of course, let us remember that Jesus is the reason for the season. I also would like to encourage you uh, that as we prepare to close out, that if you want to continue to support the St. Paul Church, you can give and even give as far as Bible study is concerned. Let me just say, if you have lost your job, if you've been furloughed, you've been laid off, uh, you're able, uh, I'm not expecting for you to give. If you do give out of your poverty or out of your, your lack, God has a special blessing for you. But I don't expect for you to give. But those of us who still have, Uh, a job, I have some income, we receive. This is where the strong can bear the infirmities of the weak. St. Paul, I want to um, just commend you on your wonderful generosity. We are going to be a blessing to a lot of families during this Christmas season, especially through our partnership with Toys for Tots. And so uh, that giveaway will be taking place on this Saturday. We're going to help over 200 plus families as far as their children are concerned to have a wonderful and a blessed Christmas. And I want to thank you as well as those who are partnering with us. We have raised more money this year for Toys for Tots than we ever have. Uh, I know since I've been here, but in talking with Reverend Bernie, he says since we've been in this partnership. And so I want to thank you because we're going to be a great blessing to a lot of families. Well, I want to close out in prayer, Um, and we look forward to you joining us as far as Sunday morning is concerned in one of our Sunday school lessons or Sunday school classes, as well as our worship experience at 1030. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you because one day we know we shall be like your son, Jesus Christ. But until then, we ask that you would continue to sustain us and help us to be agents of transformation in a world that we've messed up because of our disobedience. Empower us, oh God, to be agents of light in a world that is dark, uh, to be your soldiers of love uh, in a community where there is hate, and, God, to be your ambassadors of life where death is trying to reign rampant. Empower us, oh God, to reflect the very essence of who you are, as far as a broken community, a broken city, a broken country and a broken cosmos, are concerned. We don't take for granted what you did through Jesus Christ. We love you and we thank you, O oh God, and we thank you for the gift of your Son. Now God, as we leave from this moment, but never from your presence, keep us in your care until we're able to begin again and work, witness, word, or worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, listen, God bless you. Uh, I love you. God loves you even more. Take care and have a blessed and safe holiday. And remember, my brother and sister, during this pandemic, let's limit our gatherings. Let's wash our hands. Let's practice physical social distancing, and let's continue to wear our mask, especially when we're out in public. I have gotten more reports of people that I know who have been infected and inflicted with this COVID-19 pandemic, and I don't want that to happen to you. So please be safe, take care, and God bless.